pleased to bring you our feature presentation. Five hundred years ago, in the vast stretches of the wilderness of the Middle East, a tent was built and pitched. This small edifice was called the Tent of Meeting, the Tabernacle. Next to heaven itself, no other locale in the universe had such a display of the presence and power of God as this tent. To be able to come close to the Tabernacle, was a high privilege. Yet, as with all things divine, with great privilege comes great responsibility, accountability, and danger. Violating even the most minute detail concerning protocol and things pertaining to the tabernacle could result in death. Nadab and Abihu, the two oldest sons of Aaron the high priest, did just that. They offered strange fire before the Lord, unauthorized fire, at the cost of their lives. We invite you to use your imaginations along with us, and through the use of a special time machine, travel back with us three and a half millennia to the wilderness of the Sinai Peninsula, where we find Moses and Aaron dealing with the aftermath of that catastrophic event.
my lords, my uncles, Moses and Aaron, I was on rotation to assist Nadab and Abihu at the altar of incense this morning. I was to retrieve their firepans before they put the sacred incense in them. But something was wrong, my uncle. I saw that the mixture of the spices they used were not the ones prescribed by the Lord. I tried to warn them, my uncle. They laughed at me and mocked. And then I saw, I saw a flask of some kind of wine or strong drink laying on the ground. Their breath smelled like it. When I tried to tell them this was not authorized fire by the Lord, according to his word, they pushed me aside and laughed. They went towards the altar. And then, and then, the fire of the Lord fell and consumed them both, my uncle. They're dead. They're both dead. Mishael, bring them in. Azio, Elzaphan, bring in your kinsman, Nadab. The Levites are still retrieving his body, my lord.
my Lord. This was the fire pan in Nadab's hand when he approached the altar of incense. You'll see it's not the mixture prescribed by the Lord in this holy law. This is the flask that your two sons were drinking from before it happened, and I tried to stop them. Have the Levites take Nadab out of the sanctuary area and outside the camp. As you wish, my lord. Azil, Elzaphan, carry your cousin outside the camp. not let your hair become unkempt. Do not tear your clothes. You are the high priest, or you will die, and the Lord's anger will be against the entire Israelite community. My Lord Moses, may the people of Israel bemoan and mourn for this burning that has happened among us today, at least. Yes. Gather the heads of the 12 tribes and inform them. Aaron? Your relatives, all the Israelite community, they will mourn for those the Lord has destroyed by fire 
But as for you, do not leave the entrance of the tent of meeting, or you will die. You have the Lord's anointing oil on you. Now come, let us move from here to the holy place. For our ministry in the most holy place has come to an end. Let it be as you say, given that such things as this have happened to me today. Lord, this church family always does more for me than I do for them. I thank you, Lord, how they are fed and shepherded, and I'm, it makes coming here so rich for me. Lord, you gave me gifts for them, and I ask you, Lord, that by your Spirit's enabling, they will be deposited in this precious family of God. And Lord, if there's anyone in here today who is not in your family, I pray that they will flee to the high priest who longs to represent them, the Lord Jesus. The longer I live in the walk with the Lord, the longer I realize that if you want more of God, you have to handle him with white gloves, like you would a precious jewel. The Lord resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You handle the Lord and you handle his word with white gloves. 
as though it's a rare, precious jewel that if you drop, it would shatter. And when you have a heart like that and you come to him, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. And will God will reveal, so to speak, his secrets to those who fear him. And my heart has been ripped apart for many, many years now when I've seen what the seeker-sensitive movement has done to the church. And the church has fallen for that pragmatism and the, it has produced mostly tears in the church. And my heart's longing is that we would have more solemn assemblies as we approach the one with whom we have to do. The last time I was here, a year ago this month, I taught on the three glories of God, the three major definitions of the glory of God. The first one was God's resplendent glory, his shining greatness, his unapproachable light, 1 Timothy 6.16. The second one was the glory of his power, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Then the most important by far with the Lord, as far as the definition of his glory, were his attributes, his character. By far, that's the most enrapturing aspect of the glory of God that we will be about and that we will adore for all of eternity. But we're going to talk about his resplendent glory this morning. Here is why. This is my electron microscope of the universe. You may already be guessing. I know what he's going to do. He, we, he, we all know how insignificant man is, and he's less than an atom in the vast array of the universe. But no, I'm not using the electron microscope to look for man. I'm using it to look for the Earth. That's how microscopic the Earth is in the vast stretches of the universe. And the more they send up there to look around, the more we see how immeasurably infinite it is. Don't we, beloved? And yet, and yet, the universe is not infinite. Sooner or later, it ends. There's only one who is infinite, the one who created it. There is an end somewhere out there. But it's absolutely staggering when we get back the figures and the statistics and the light years and, and the amount of celestial bodies out there. How could the Lord possibly have had his center stage, his arena for all of history from eternity past to eternity future on the earth? Because, you see, I tell my camp staff every year this principle, the weaker the vessel, when they're very insecure and terrified and don't know if they can counsel, those are the kind of counselors I want. The weaker the vessel the more glory God gets for using them. So it's just like God that he do the microscopic location in the universe to do his stage. Everyone in human arrogant reasoning would think he'd do it on the biggest planet. No, no, no. Where was the Savior born? Don't despise the day of small things. So here it is. We found the Earth in the microsco electron microscope of the universe. Now, in, on the earth, next to heaven itself, there was no greater display of the resplendent glory of God. And again, that's God's shining greatness, his unapproachable light. There was no greater place in all the universe next to heaven than in the Middle East on the planet Earth. But how do you know that, Gertie? Because there's only one God, and he only has one son. And his son was only incarnated once, and he was only sent to one celestial body once, though he's coming a second time. It all happened right here. So God 
chose a place, and it was called the Tent of Meeting. And again, next to heaven itself, it was the greatest display of his resplendent glory. It was a little tent called the Tent of Meeting. Now, even, beloved, with it just being less than an atom of the glory we will see in heaven, and we marvel at CGI stuff in movies, we are so dense. Oh, did you see that, Tommy? Well, that was so cool. Come on, people. The things we're going to see in heaven? Angels laugh at our movies. Come on. It's ridiculous. Watch. I use this for my Judgment Day message, which I've done here many years ago, but I like to use it for this one too. So you see, the throne of God is on fire, Daniel chapter 7. It has wheels and they're on fire. So when you read texts that say every single human being on the face of the earth from Adam and Eve until the last human soul is conceived is going to stand before God's throne, I've often pondered how in the world are we going to get close to it. And it's kind of like this. So God's power switch for his throne. Angel! Yes, Lord. Turn the power down so they may approach me. It is done, Lord. I love that sound effect. And so, but you see what happens, beloved? That's what God's going to have to do at his throne on Judgment Day. But guess what? He had to do it in the tent, too. Now, get that? Even though it was less than a molecule of the glory we will be in in heaven, he still had to turn it down. Or it would kill us. Oh, Gertie, you're exaggerating. No, no. In fact, the people who hear first service, no, 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 beloved, he's not exaggerating. What do you hear? You say, He's so holy. He is so dangerous to sinners. And we don't get it. We have no idea what he did to remove the danger for his people. So what happens? Here's the tent of meeting. Now, of all the nations on the face of the earth, remember God said, I'm going to have a tent. Well, why, Lord? Why in the world in the first place would you want a tent on the earth, a microscope, uh, microscopic size of the earth? Here's why. In Exodus chapter 20, Five, the Lord says, I want you to build this tent because I will dwell among you. Enough said. Let's build it. I will dwell. Lord, you want to live with us? I will dwell among you. And he goes, I will meet with you there. The one who created that vast universe. I will. And we're coming up on Christmas. Think about it. The one who created that universe that we can't even begin to take in, that you pass out from fear if you saw it all, he was lying on a mat in a house in Nazareth next to his brothers at night. They had no idea who they were sleeping next to. I will dwell among you. I will meet with you there. And here's the other one. I will speak to you there. How many of you have been in those dark caverns and canyons in life? And you just had no idea where God was. And if you're honest, you felt like he abandoned you. And all of a sudden, you got a word from him, either through the sacred text of Scripture, the safest place to get one, or but through brothers and sisters. And all of a sudden, the light came on. And you had comfort, right? I heard from God, finally. And so that's why God wanted to come and be with us in this tent. I want to live among you. How could you, Lord? Remember what Peter said after the miraculous catch? Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Remember? Whenever God manifests his glory and who he is, 
humans always shrink back in unworthiness, and rightly so. If you don't, you're in danger because you're self-righteous. You see, but depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. No, no, I'm going to dwell among you. I'm going to meet with you, and I'm going to speak to you. Lord, take everything else I got. If, you, if that's what you'll do for me, I don't care about anything else. So I guess God's going to do this for all the nations on the earth because he treats everybody equal. Uh, no, he doesn't. And he doesn't have to, contrary to arrogant human reasoning. You see, God chose one nation and only one nation to build this tent. No, he can't do that. He has to treat everybody. He, he doesn't. When you have a hostile, a whole world, a whole human race since Adam and Eve's fall of hostile human beings who by nature hate your guts, anything you do, do for them apart from hell is mercy. So guess who he chose? Who did he choose? Yeah, because they were the best of the... No, they weren't. No, they weren't. Um, to save time? Yeah, blood. That's a a term of endearment with my closest friends, so I'm expecting your pastor. If I call you blood, that's a high compliment. Like, we're, we're like blood, okay? You know what? This morning service, that was a survey. I skipped over dozens and dozens of texts because I love my buddy here. <laughs> he had mercy on his people. But we got the point, okay? So, Israel. But there are at least five texts in the Old Testament that say Israel became more evil than the nation's around them that the Lord chose not to choose. At least five. Did the Lord know that before he decided to choose Israel and not them? Sure he did. Guess what? He chose them anyway. When he chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, he knew what he was getting. And he still chose to choose you. He had to hammer. Still have to do it today with so many Christians. They're not going to believe this until they get to heaven and realize it. But you have to keep hammering. He had to keep hammering Israel. It is not because of your righteousness that I chose you. You're a stubborn, stiff-necked people. Am I lying? He chose him anyway. He was forgiven. Much loveth much. So he chose Israel. All the other nations went to hell. God left them to themselves. He gave them what they deserved. He gave them what they wanted. Romans 1, welcome to America. He's giving America what they want. It's another sermon. All the nations, they die in their, ar their arrogance and their ignorance and their paganism. So he has mercy on Israel. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. That's what he said. Thank you, bro. Now... That's great. So all the Israelites, whenever they want, can go right into the Holy of Holies and meet with God, and he will speak to them and meet with... No, 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 no. Of the Israelites, it says in, in Exodus chapter 12, in Numbers chapter 1, that there were about 600,000 men who came out of Egypt across the Red Sea in the Exodus. That was only the men. It says, in addition to women and children. So roughly, the estimates are, an average, about 2 million Jews came out of Egypt. Now watch. So that's wonderful. At least two million people of all the people on the face of the earth could go in the tent. No, hold up. No, no. You see, even, even with them being the privileged nation, even they all couldn't go in there. You see, there was a big sign, so to speak, outside the tabernacle, something like this. You see? Now watch. 
of all the tribes of Israel, only one was allowed to get even near the tent. The Levites, they were taken from the tribes of Israel and given wholly to Aaron and his sons to serve them. They alone were to camp around the tabernacle where the holy things were. The Lord said, if anyone else gets near that tent other than the Levites that were circling it, you must kill them. Wow. Why did he choose Israel? I love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses now. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. Behold, when the Lord says that, oh, it's a nice religious word to begin verses with. No, it's not. When the Lord says, behold, the Spirit of God inspired the sacred author, it's inspired. God didn't put it there to sound religious. What does he mean when he says, behold? In other words, God's saying, I want you to get, pay attention to this. This is very important. Focus right here, like my wife tells me all the time, okay? Focus, Michael. What did I just say? And forgive me, I don't want to make light of the text, but I'm serious. That's what God's saying. What does he say? Behold, the heavens, even the highest heavens, are mine and everything in them are the Lord your gods, and by the, the possessive gods. And what it means is all the inhabitants from the context, including human and angelic, every entity out there, the angels and human beings, wherever they are, they all belong to God. Now watch what he says, though. All right, everybody gets equal access. No, 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 no. Yet, watch now, I love this. Yet the Lord set his affection it's a special love that God has for his people that he doesn't have for the lost. I don't like that, Gertie. You have different kinds of love for your wife, for your children. You better. For your neighbor, for your dog. It's sad when humans don't. But you know what? The love God set upon Israel is all over the Old Testament. It was different from the general beneficent love he has for all human beings. He only set his affection on Israel. Remember, he has mercy on whom he has mercy. So what does it say? Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them. He chose you, their descendants, above or instead of all the other nations. Wow. And again, now only the Levites could get close to it. And what, what happens if not? Remember they said they were responsible for the care of the sanctuary on behalf of the Israelites. Anyone else who approached that sanctuary was to be put to death. The Levites camp around it. And so many scriptures say, any, any outsider tries to get near it, you die. Now, what happened? It says the wrath of the Lord would come on the rest of the Israelites if one that was not a Levite got near the tabernacle. Now, one, one scholar said, this wrath that the text talks about, it was an immediate visitation of the hand of God. This wrath, another scholar says, was from God. Watch, I love this. Who is very tender of his worship. I didn't tell the first service that. That's a powerful quote. God is very tender. In other words, very sensitive about worship to him. Have you noticed a lot of rock concerts in churches across America since the seeker-sensitive movement? Have you noticed a lot it's all about me? Have you noticed they're playing secular rock songs in worship services? God is very tender of his worship, and he will not suffer the profaners of it to go unpunished. Another scholar said, that wrath that, that Moses talked about, it's divine judgment for violation of the sacredness of the tabernacle. 
He said the Jews strained every nerve to safeguard the awful unapproachableness of God. Wow. Now, of the Levites, just because the Levites were the tribe around the tabernacle, they all couldn't have equal access. There were three families. There were the Gershonites, and the Gershonites basically had care of the curtains of the tabernacle. And then there were the Merariites, and they had care of mostly the hardware, the poles, the sockets, the things like that. But the third family of the Levites were the Kohathites, and they had the most dangerous job of all. And that's why I believe there were so many of the Kohathites. If you look at the number of the Gershon and Merari, Kohath had the most. Why? Because they had care of the ark and the table and the lampstand, the altar of incense, and the sacred vessels. And the closer you get to the mercy seat, the more dangerous it becomes. So those three families are the ones of all the Levites, of two million Israelites, had care of the sacred things. Now watch. Even if Jesus Christ himself were on earth at that time, even he could not go near that tabernacle. Why? He was the... The... Lion of the tribe of Judah. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, there's nothing written in the law that says anything about that tribe. Even Jesus, creator of all that is seen is unseen, Colossians 1.16, principalities and powers. Jesus created them. He couldn't go over there. Wow. There were violations, beloved, in the Scripture. I was crushed when uh, Brother Mike called. We were on the phone last week before I came, and he told me about that horrible thing that happened to your church building last spring. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, this place? You were violated, weren't you? Were you trespassed? Did it hurt? Yeah. yeah. Did you feel scandalized? Someone trespassed and went where they shouldn't have gone. You see? There were many of those with the sacred things of God in the Scripture. When the Philistines took the ark in 1 Samuel chapter 5 after because of the apostasy of Israel, the Lord allowed the Philistines to do it. But watch what happened when they brought this ark into the Philistine cities, the five major cities. Hemorrhoids broke out on all the people, old and young. And it says the hand of the Lord was heavy on the cities of the Philistines. And they cried out, said, no, don't bring it here. And the Lord set the cities in a panic. Why? They violated the ark. Wow. Then when the ark finally came back to Israel, the men of Beth Shemesh, these were Hebrews, the Lord himself killed 50,070 of them. Why? They looked into the ark. We, we don't get his holiness. 50,000 of his own people dead by the Lord because they looked into the ark. Wow. Uzzah, when they were bringing back the ark and David was dancing before the Lord, you remember? And the, the oxen stumbled and the ark went to spill, 2 Samuel chapter 6. Remember? What did Uzzah do? It says he reached out and tried to stop it. Who smote him? The Lord struck him dead. It drives me crazy when I hear people say, they, they sympathize with Uzzah. Oh, that's right. God had a skeleton in his closet that day. He had a chink in his armor. He messed up that day. It says the Lord struck him down for his irreverent act. People are so quick to judge the Lord and criticize him. He can't do anything wrong. The problem's always with us. 
So you don't, you don't know what was going on in Uzzah's heart and mind. He knew the word of the Lord. You weren't supposed to touch it. The Lord struck him down. Another king of Judah, he decided after he got powerful and arrogant, his name was Uzziah, he went into the temple. Well, I'm the king. And he started to offer incense, and leprosy broke out. Who smote him with leprosy? God did. The priest went in to tell him, You're not it's not lawful for you to do that. So they had to hurry him out of the temple before they desecrated the temple more. It says he had leprosy till the day he died. Wow. Why? They violated, they trespassed God's holy things. Now, it also said in Numbers chapter 4, verse 15, that when they were taking down the ark to move it and moving the tabernacle, uh, the Lord spoke through Moses and he said, when the family of the Kohathites, remember the Levite, the, the family that had had charge of the most sacred things, when you go to move everything, because where camp is moving out, he said, this is what ha must happen first. Aaron and his sons would take the veil that was in front of the ark. They would cover the ark with a veil, and then they would have a special piece of leather. Scholars aren't, aren't agreed upon what kind of leather it was, but over the veil, then they threw the special piece of leather. Then on top of the lever, leather, they covered it with a special blue fabric. Then the Kohathites could come and move the ark. Then Moses told them, if they touch it, they die. It gets worse. Numbers chapter 4, verse 20. These are eyeballs. And the only bummer with them is they always look up. I try to turn them to the audience, but they just look up. Okay, and I told Pastor Rick earlier, that's a sermon there. But here's the, here's the thing. Here's the thing, beloved. It says that if anyone goes into that place and even looks at the holy things. Watch now. In the Hebrew, it says for a gulp. For a gulp. And they... The scholars believe that's a Hebraism for saying for a moment. Your Bible probably says for a moment. That if you just look at them for a moment, you die. Just look at them. You would think, and I would think in our arrogant reasoning, well, I think the Lord should have like a 12, 13 second cushion of time. Like you can look at it. Isn't that how we think? And then, okay, after 12 seconds, like, like we do with our children. If you do that one more time for the 17th time, I'm going to do something. But the Lord didn't do that. If you look at it for a moment, you die. Wow. I didn't clean up very well the first time, so throw, these are my sermon notes, if you've noticed. All right? But now, when an offering was brought to sacrifice to the Lord instead of a human being, if the person, the, the priest, was unclean, they were cut off from among the people. The Lord charged them in Leviticus chapter 22, those who take care of my sacrifices, they must do it basically meticulously and with care. Or what? They get cut off from my people. Now, when the sacrifices were brought and they were brought for the purpose of giving to the Lord, the Lord said that the fat is mine. How many of you remember in your scriptures that when it says that they would, when the, in Leviticus, when it would give very detailed examples of, of the uh, sacrifices, and remember when it says when the fat is burned, it said it shall be like a savory, a pleasing aroma in the Lord's nostrils. Remember that? Like, to us, we would think that's kind of, you know. 
But you know what? This, the fat is the symbol, so to speak, of the prosperity of the animal, right? I was checking this out with Pastor Rick uh, the first service about, you know, if he sees a gaunt, thin, meatless deer or buck, he's mo most likely not going to shoot it, right? Yeah, you look for the, the big ones, right? They got all the meat on them, right? Well, the fat is a symbol of that, so to speak. So when the sacrifice was brought to the priest to offer to the Lord, the Lord, the fat is mine. And that, and well, Michael explained that. The only thing I can come up with is why would it be pleasing in the, in the nostrils, so to speak, of the Lord, who is, a, who is a spirit, of course, not flesh. What, what's the symbol there? Is that remember, no one gets close to the Lord or has fellowship with him with any kind of sin. That's why animal sacrifice was instituted temporarily. So the fat shows the animal has died, and I'm pleased. This means the animal is, I, I'm, my, my justice is satisfied. My hatred and anger towards sin has been satisfied. How do you know, Lord? Because I smell the fat of the thing that died in the human being's place. God has a wrath and anger that is adorable. If he doesn't have it, he's not God, and you better fear for your life. Can you imagine if God didn't have wrath? You see, it's one of the most adorable attributes of God. Some of my deepest times of kissing Jesus' feet, so to speak, for a million years if he'd let me, is adoring his wrath because every single drop of it is adorable and holy and just and pure and exactly what deserved to be gotten. Can you imagine, beloved, if he didn't have... You're looking at me like, Rick, where'd you get him? What seminary? Just let, let me help you with this. You're in a grocery store. You see a young mother pushing a cart with a little baby in the seat. Some big guy comes in, tips the cart over, punches the mother in the face. She goes down, knocks out. The baby's screaming. <laughs> he laughs and walks away. How would you feel? If you're not angry, something's wrong with you. You get angry. Why do I? Because you're made in the image of God. Because he's angry. We are so used to sinful anger, it's very hard to process when we hear of the Lord's anger because most of the anger we either exude or receive is sinful fleshly anger. Not God's anger. He's slow to anger. But when he unleashes it, whew, it's adorable. Not a weak side of his. Wow. In fact, the saints in Revelation praise and worship him for judging their enemies. That's why sacrifices were so important because the Lord had all of this stored up anger and justly a beautiful anger from his holiness that's stored up and it must be appeased. He never excuses sin or bypasses it or ignores it. It must be punished. So when the sacrifice comes, my justice and my wrath is appeased. Now, but there was something even more. If any of the priests... Remember the Lord said in Leviticus, the life or the Hebrew is the soul of the, of the flesh is in the, is in the blood. That's why if anyone would drink or, or consume the blood that was brought for a sacrifice, death. And one scholar said that's why the blood was so much more holy than the fat. Why? Because the soul or the life of the animal wasn't in its fat. And you see, and one scholar said that, that the soul of the animal, in other words, its blood, that was what atoned for the soul. 
So if the human being that you brought it to for the sacrifice took the blood instead, he must die. Because that blood was presented to atone for the sinner's soul who brought it. That's why the blood is so precious. The blood is, sometimes I'm afraid Christians think Jesus' blood is a lucky charm. Just splash it around, you know. No, no, no. It, it's his, his life was in his blood. It's either his life or yours. That's why his, his, his blood is so precious. I'm getting ahead of myself. So the blood, what else? Now, this is the checklist of the, of the uh, high priest. He wants to go in. You know what? Aaron's having a bad day. And you, you know what? I'm going to go seek the Lord because I'm really bummed. I need encouragement. So I'm just going in. Well, no, 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 no. Leviticus chapter 16. What did Moses say? Tell Aaron. The Lord told Moses, tell Aaron. Tell Aaron, don't go into the Holy of Holies whenever he wants to or he will die. You don't go in whenever you want to. You go in one day a year, which is Yom Kippur. The day Yom Kippur covering atonement. Only one day. If you go in any other day, you die. Wow. What else? When Aaron went in there, he had a special robe. At the bottom of the robe, there was like a woven yarned pomegranate at the bottom of the robe. Then right next to that was a golden bell, then another pomegranate, then a bell, all around the hem of the robe. What did the Lord say? In Exodus chapter 28, when Aaron goes in before the Lord, those bells must be ringing when he goes in and when he comes out. If the bells are not ringing, he dies. The Lord kills him. Aaron and his sons, Exodus 28, they had to wear a sacred undergarment around their loins. It says from their waist to their thighs. Why? Well, it's interesting. Scholars have three uh, interpret. Why, why was that necessary? Some of you may know from Mormons, there are higher ups in the Mormon religion where they have, I heard this years ago and I thought, wow, that was weird, but now I know where they get it from. Sacred underwear. But the, but the high priest had to wear it when he went in there. Why? Because it covers parts of your body that secrete toxins and waste and impure, unclean things. So um, we, we are covering that as we go before the Lord of hosts. Another scholar said that most likely this had to be worn as well. It's one of the very first things Adam and Eve realized after they sinned was that they were naked. The sin nakedness. We're going in before the Lord. We cover our nakedness. And a third reason was that, which I think is very apropos, you remember all the, so many of the pagan nations around Israel when they went into their temples naked and fornicating and prostitutes. So Israel was set apart to the Lord and Israel alone. That's why their priest had to be the utmost in being sanctified and set apart. Now, what else did Aaron have to have? One of my goals for this time together with you is that when you approach the Lord, you never take it for granted again that so much has been done by something in the future that wasn't done here yet. What else? Aaron had to have a special anointing oil. It had to be made of certain, uh, certain oils in a, in a certain proportion, and he had to put it on him. You remember when uh, Moses told Aaron after the death of his sons, you are not allowed to leave the, the holy place. Why? Because God's anointing oil is on you. If you leave, you'll die. Remember what else he told Moses? He told Aaron, he said, don't unshovel your hair, dishevel your hair, or take your turban off. Why? That was a sign of mourning. It would show that Aaron was empathetic towards the vile 
gross trespass sin of Nadab and Abihu. If you do that, you will die. Wow. What was one of the sins of Nadab and Abihu? They offered strange fire. Another thing that when Aaron went in before the Lord, he had to have a certain uh, mixture of incense. All these incenses of certain proportions had to be the right mixture. In fact, the Lord said, if anyone uses this for any other purpose than for when my priest approaches the ark, so to speak, they die. If anyone, it even says, if anyone uses this for any other purpose because you like the smell of it, you wear it, it even says wear it as a perfume, you die. This recipe, this mixture was for the ark and the ark alone, going in the Holy of Holies and for the priest. Nadab and Abihu, it says they put strange fire in their fire pans. Most likely, as you saw in the drama, it was because they did the wrong concoction. And here's the other violation, most likely from the context. That was Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 10 that you saw this morning, is that Aaron, Moses told Aaron after they were dead, you shall drink, you and your son shall not drink wine or any strong drink when you go in before the Lord. And most likely from that context, Aaron, uh, Nadab and Abihu, as you saw in the drama, they were drinking. Or you will die. Wow. So there was a, this massive checklist, beloved. And then, if they got them all right, then this could be turned on. You got all this done. All right, now, would, do you feel still a little fear that you did something wrong? There were so many places, beloved, that you could not do it right and die. But here all the checklist has been done, and now Aaron goes in, or his sons. Now, here's a major point of the message. All of this, that was a shadow of the real tabernacle. It was a scale model. If you really do study, and I didn't know this till a year, not within the last year, the heavenly tabernacle had not been built yet, though in Exodus chapter 25 and Hebrew chap Hebrews chapter 8, the Lord told Moses when he was on the mountain, see to it that you build this according to the pattern I show you in the mountain. But you have to go into a study of the, of the language and that yet the heavenly tabernacle at that time had not been built, though Moses was shown the schematic, if you will. It's a long story. I'd take the time to explain it, but I won't. But he said, this is the pattern of the real one that's going to be built. Make it according to those. So now the real one is built. But we know in eternity there will be no temple. Because it says the Lord God and the Lamb are the temple. But there was a time, and I'm going to tell you in a second why, that there was the heavenly tabernacle. This is my pathetic object lesson for the tabernacle in heaven. And I ask your forgiveness, but anything to keep your attention. What does it say on there? God's temple door. So what do we see? What is it like in the tabernacle in heaven? Are you ready? So this was all, all this death was for a shadow. It was for a scale model. It was for something, a prototype. But what's the real one? What's the real temple like? Revelation chapter 11, verse 19 then God's temple in heaven was opened. Can you imagine how big the doors must be for God's tabernacle in heaven? Have you ever wondered how big God's throne will be? 
I think about that stuff a lot. Now, Jesus looks like us. He's our size. And remember, he said, the way I ascended, I'm coming back. So I don't, I used to picture Jesus on this massive giant throne and him being ginormous, but that does, that goes against the incarnation. You know what I mean? So he's our size. I don't know how big the father is, but think about it. If he has a temple up there, a tabernacle, how big the doors must be. Ah, these are stuff that if you just give your mind to them, you'll start laughing at your movies too. You see, because they're pathetic. And humans are so arrogant about their little trinkets and stuff. And, and the angels, is that all you got? They're laughing at us, you know, because they're beholding a real thing. Oh. God's temple door was open. What happened? Then what did John see? And within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. Remember, you couldn't even be a Kohathite and see the ark or you'd die. I don't think John was a Levite. I don't think he was from that, my understanding. And here he is, not only, he's not only not seeing the copy, he's seeing the real one in John's living. He's seeing what no one could see but Aaron and his sons and Moses. He said, it's the real one. Wow. And the ark of his covenant. And watch now, beloved. There came flashes of lightning and rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm in the heavenly tabernacle. It gets better. Revelation 15. After this, I looked and I saw in heaven the temple that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with seven plagues. And they were bowls of God's wrath. But you see, oh my dear, you, we thought this one was dangerous. But this, this is going to be so glorious, beloved. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. Now watch. God's glory and his power are so awesome they smoke. They smoke. Wow. I, I forgot to bring my binoculars in from my truck because you know when they have a space launch, especially you baby boomers, when you remember the Apollo missions, when the people were all down at Cape Canaveral, you know, when the, the special, especially Apollo 11, and they had all those people, you've seen the documentaries, they're all over the beach with binoculars and telescopes watching it go, man, go to the moon? Remember how they'd follow the, you know, just follow it? When Jesus rose from the dead, it says, I didn't know this till doing my video productions last year of Cab Talks. I never, never knew this. Didn't, real, didn't connect the dots. I always assumed that when Jesus ascended back to heaven, he went and sat on, on the throne next to his father, Revelation 3.21. And he did, but he did something first. And that's why the heavenly tabernacle was built. It says when Jesus came as the high priest of good things to come, it says he didn't go into a copy. Man-made. He went into the real one. He went into the real one. With hailstorms and lightning and rumblings and angels with plagues, whatever else comes out of there, Jesus went right in. And no one dared say, wait a minute, Levite? You know, Kohathite? You mentioned the living creatures. They're the ones handing the bowls to the angels, one of them. And you just think the angelic beings, they don't understand salvation. Remember? They long to look into what we have. 
So I can't imagine, the, the Bible says in Revelation 5.11 and Daniel chapter 7, verse 10, that there are at least 100 million angels there. The lowest ranking angel, one of them, if he came in this building and manifested his glory, delegated from the Lord, you'd all die. And here they are. This is what we're going to see. You know, girl, you see that movie? That's so cool. We don't get it, do we? We are so, ah. But this is what we are actually going to see. So the Lord Jesus is coming in. And not one angel dared say, wait a minute, who are you? They all stood back. Lord. They didn't know what he was doing down here, remember? They wanted to come and rescue him from the garden at the arrest. Peter, don't you know I could have my call on my father? He could send 72,000 of them. Oh, the angels were drooling to kill us. Here he comes. He's walking into the temple that God made with all that stuff going on in there. What does it say? It says he didn't bring the blood of boats and goats and bulls, did he? Where's your sacrifice? No, I'm the sacrifice. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats. Take away sin. Who's the high? Oh, forgive me, Lord. I'm the high priest and the sacrifice. He goes in there with all that stuff going on. Every angelic being just stands and bows. Then he went and sat next to his father. But he had a job to do first. And that's what it says he did. He entered the perfect and, and heavenly tabernacle, not made with hands. Now, I got to scurry. But why? Jesus is our high priest. You don't appreciate that unless you know what a high priest is. A high priest, Hebrews chapter 5, is someone taken from among men, appointed by God, for, for what, Michael? To represent them in things pertaining to God. Beloved, you desperately need a representative before God. Paul Johansson, the president of Elam, the most influential man in my life in the Lord, he said this years ago, the man who represents himself in court, represents a fool. I don't need a defense attorney. I, I, I'll defend myself. See, they underestimate the power of the prosecuting attorneys. Prosecuting attorneys get paid very well, and they know what to do. They will pick you apart. So that's why the man who, I'm going to represent myself and not have an advocate, represents a fool. Why do I need representation, Michael? If there's one teaching, my, my granddaughter, Reagan, uh, this, is, this is crazy. My videos that I try so hard to make, make Christ-centered and nothing but him try to keep me out of it, and I'll get, you know, on the cab talk, seven or eight views. Well, my, little, my granddaughter, Reagan, she's on uh, Instagram. So when we were down there in October, Kim and I, she said, Papa, can I, you know, just ask you a question for her Instagram thing? You know, if you were my, what would you wish if you were my age again that you didn't have when you were my age? And I knew exactly what to tell her. I said, he will come in again in glory to judge the living and the dead. I told her I said that at Mass every Sunday, all my life. And it, I didn't know what I was talking about. I said, the principle of Judgment Day, would wish, I wish I knew that when I was her age, 17. I said, I, I think my life would have been radically changed. Well, why are you bringing this up? Every single human being who doesn't have a representative, one at a time, they're going to stand before the Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus, on his throne. It says the books will be opened. There will be a whole table of evidence against them. 
of every single thing they thought, fantasized, imagined, said, did, didn't do they were supposed to do, the books are opened. And they will be judged according to the things written in the books. It will be so overwhelming. Charles Hodge, one of my favorite theologians, said, everybody will be self-condemned. They, 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 they won't have to be convinced that they're guilty, and they will all agree with the sentence they get because the evidence will be so overwhelming. That's why we desperately need a high priest. Why? Again, Hebrews 5, a high priest is someone who represents other people in things pertaining to God. And if you have sinned, God demands your soul. I don't have time to go over the law of God. So the law of God is going to be what picks people apart. It's going to be like this. We're almost done. You're so, so patient with me. Okay, hold on. We're almost done. It'll be like this, beloved. God's x-ray will just see through everything. All the passions and the desires and the lust of the flesh and the mind will be x-rayed by God's word by his omniscience. And every person will be exposed and be seen for what they really are, Hodge said, and not what other people say about them, or what they think about themselves. They'll be seen for what they really are. And then the sentence will be pronounced, and even they will agree with the sentence. And that's why Romans says every mouth will be stopped, and the whole world accountable to God. So we need a high priest, someone to represent us. The Lord Jesus, you know. Uh, Everything you were supposed to be and supposed to do, Jesus did in your place. If he's your high priest. He's your representative. That's why when Aaron would go in before the Lord, he had something like this over his chest, over his heart. What were they? Each stone stood for one of the tribes of Israel. So their representative, they couldn't go in there before the Lord. The representative went for them, bearing them over his heart. There's a lot of to do in the news right now, isn't there, about the House of Representatives? Guess what? You are the House of the Represented. Gertie, you're a scum. You have all this vile stuff that goes in your head and your heart all the time. Yeah, and you know what? It's worse than you think. But I'm represented by another person. You know, Jesus didn't bring, he wouldn't, he wouldn't insult his father bringing an animal, would he? I mean, it was the Lord who ordained animals, what we all know. That was just a shadow and a type for things to come. Here's the big one. Amen? Here's the one. One sacrifice. The church I grew up with, um, he kept getting sacrificed every Sunday. Resacrificed. No, 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 no. Hebrews says once and for all. It's done. Done. It's a perfect sacrifice. So where was, where was Jesus' brazen altar? Calvary. Um, when Kim and I, um, we pace and pray around the bottom floor of our house. We call it pace and pray. When I was doing so with her last week or so, um, I was reminded again, my dear brothers and sisters, and this is the truth, um, 
even as I, th I was preparing for a youth retreat a few weeks ago, and um, a meeting there, and um, I was reminding myself and her and the Lord, of course, the books are opened. This morning, those books I mentioned from Revelation chapter 20, they're open right now. Everything's being recorded. What I say, teachers will be judged more severely, and what you hear that's from God, that you, how you respond. Everything is going to be heard again. I will be first for this meeting. I will be the one, first one to give an account of what I taught you. And for those things that were from God, then it's your turn. I'm serious. This judgment, God can't do anything that's not thorough. He's totally thorough. Every thought will be judged. Every. Nothing gets passed by. Amen? So some of you in this room, there's another book that I'm afraid you're not in. That's why on that great day it says when all the books are opened and the dead are judged according to the things written in the book, then it says, hallelujah, another book is opened. It's the book of life. There's another book that's opened. It's Jesus' book of life. And anyone whose name was not found in that book was cast into the lake of fire. It burns with fire and sulfur, and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. If you are not in Christ, and if he's not your high priest and representative, my dear man or woman, or child, um, you're going to face God, and Jesus isn't going to be in front of you. But he's willing to. He's willing to. He's calling you now. Will you let me represent you? Or do you want to represent yourself? All that the Father is going to demand of you, I did for you. If you accept me, you're covered. So now when we go to pray, beloved, and we go seek the Lord, hallelujah, we don't have to worry about all this stuff anymore. It's almost like, Lord, cover me. I'm going in. And he has us covered. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for the precious family. Only you can do what you can do, Jesus, by your precious spirit. Come, Lord Jesus, and finish the work that you ordained before the foundation of the world for this day. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond to that this morning. Father, we come before you, Lord, and having seen such a presentation from your word, we understand how we don't reverence you the way you should be reverenced. Father, if it were Old Testament law, all of us would be consumed by fire many times over. But because of the covenant of grace, because of the blood of the Lamb, takes away the sin of the world. We have grace, Lord, and you have covered us. Father, I pray this morning for every one of my brothers and sisters who are in Christ this morning and who are born again, Father, that you would help us to once again reverence you appropriately, that we wouldn't be so reckless, we wouldn't be so permissive, that we wouldn't be so just thinking we can come and go and do as we please, but that we would reverence you. Thanks for the blood, Jesus. Thank you that we don't have to answer for all of these things. Thank you that we don't have to rely on a human high priest, but we have such a great high priest who not only covers us but knows what we feel, knows what we go through, and has mercy on us. This morning, if you have never 
had an opportunity to give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ in the atmosphere so charged this morning with the anointing, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we would be saved. You say, Pastor, all I've just seen and heard has moved me, but how do I respond? We respond by personally choosing Jesus to be our advocate, to be our representative, our high priest. You say, well, how do I do that? Just by a decision of your will this morning, repenting of your sin, recognizing him as Savior, believing that he's risen from the dead, and receiving him personally, a miracle takes place. Your name will be written down in the Lamb's book of life. Your eternity will be settled. You'll be covered with the blood of the Lamb, and your advocate, Jesus Christ, will see you safely home. But it only comes by a choice. God forces himself on no one. If you're here this morning and you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life, you want to receive him as Savior and Lord, I simply want you to slip up your hand. Can we get a little light in here? God bless you. God bless you. Get a little light in here. Let the usher see what's going on, please. This is very important. Keep your hand up. The ushers are going to put something in your hand. If you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life, if you want to repent of your sin, if you want to be forgiven with a clean slate and a fresh start this morning, God bless you. God bless you. Did you? Tim, did you? Yeah, okay. Hands going up. Don't miss a hand. Everyone's so important. God bless you. Let's pray a prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I know you died to save me. So I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. From this moment forward, I belong to you. Fill me with your spirit and teach me to live a different life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer right now, welcome to the family of God. Come on, let's welcome them this morning. Amen. The angels of heaven are rejoicing, amen, because it is a simple decision of the will that starts the process. I want to encourage you this morning, if you made that decision, you got a packet in your hand, you didn't join a religion, you didn't join a church, we don't want your credit card number, but we do want to help you grow in your faith. And we want you to know that this church is open for you, our pastoral staff is here for you, and this morning begins... Uh, the best part of your life, because truly we don't begin to live until we come to Jesus and make him Lord. Amen. Just one more time, let's give him a hand clap of praise this morning. Hallelujah. Bless you, Lord.